distinction between a white community and a black community? Every time I talk about it, it's kind of, you know, it, it makes me emotional because the deep South and how it is, um, it's very racist. I didn't expect it to the extent that I um, felt it. Or to stigmatize a black athlete is not smart. He, he doesn't know how to handle money. I think I think people love to use the word racist right now for like a lot of things. Like I couldn't even put myself in that uh, mindset because that would have put me in. Yeah, that would have set me back. The solutions out there are coming from a place of hate, as you mentioned, and rage. I'm really praying and hoping that it's going to be done in a way that's led well and beautifully. I wanted to give the kids um, someone to look up to. Welcome to Both Sides Now Table Talk. I'm Michelle Pexa, your host for today's show. And today we're going to be showing our final episode for the month of April on the topic of racism. Uh, we've done three other episodes, so if you have not seen them yet, you might want to take a look at them. They're really good as well. But today's episode is actually kind of unique because my husband, Fred Pexon, myself, we sat down with a couple of friends uh, just for a Zoom chat, and we didn't even plan to record this initially. And then it, the conversation was so good, we thought, let's just go ahead and record it. So we're really happy and pleased to welcome to our show today uh, Derek Moncrief. Derek is a national football player. He's currently playing as linebacker for the LA Rams. And joining him is Cassia Kazil. And Cassia is a young entrepreneur. Uh, she actually owned and operated her own restaurant at the age of 20 years old, sold that, started a clothing line along with her sisters. And she currently also manages a family business in Regina, Saskatchewan. So welcome Cassia and Derek and my husband, Fred Pex is gonna be joining me as well on the show for today. And so let's get started on the topic of racism. Can you tell us a little bit about your family and your upbringing? I stay in Prattville, Alabama. It's like 15 minutes away from Montgomery, which is the capital where like civil rights, slavery. Rosa Parks. I actually took, yeah, Rosa Parks. I took Cass down there, she's seen it. Um, they had, they just opened up this lynching park where it's, it's, yeah, it's crazy, but it, it's always been rough. Like coming from there, it's uh, it's it's really every time I talk about it, it's kind of, you know, it, it makes me emotional because the deep South and how it is, um, it's very racist, um, to the point you know people died and everything else like that. So, from the perspective of, you know, what's happening there right now, where you come from, like. Is there is there clear racism still in the deep south that you can oh. say? I think okay, and tell me and what does it look like? I didn't expect it to the extent that I um, felt it or something. You know, like just being there, like it was so. There was a black city, a black community, and then there was a white city and a white community. And Derek said there will be some cities that I will not go into with you. Like I will not be seen with you. And for me, it was like, yeah, you hear it on the news here in Canada. And you're like, was it really like that? Was he really, you know, in the wrong neighborhood? Because anyone could do that. But but it, 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 to see it like that, like I was maybe, I was probably the only white person in certain blocks that he took me to. And it was just for me to be like, I've never really seen that or experienced that. You could feel, um, it felt like they didn't belong. It felt like there was no belonging on either side, either way. 
there was like a mutual, this is our community and this is your community. There was clear distinction between a white community and a black community. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So you know your boundaries. So it still feels almost like segregation. 100 percent yeah his his granddad so this is where even when his this is happening his granddad who um obviously grew up during like the civil rights movement um he has a friend because they were both in the war together and he's supposed this man is white and they go for breakfast every like almost every thursday to the waffle house and people stare at them and they'll be like you know your granddad's with that white man and that's, you know, and it was just like, for me to hear that, like for my dad to have a friend who was African-American go for breakfast, no one would say, you know, Kirby, we saw you for breakfast, but so to hear his grandpa explain that, you know, and that there's, this is a friendship that he probably had probably never had a white friend before, you know, reconnecting with someone he had gone to war with, or at least they were in the war yeah. together. And now they go for breakfast and they became really good friends. This is just happening. Okay, so would, would, from the Black perspective, Derek, would the Blacks receive whites in more so than the whites receiving Blacks in, or are the Blacks also somewhat prejudiced against the whites? I think it's, a, I think it's you know, uh, it's a little bit of both on both sides. Psychologically, right, mm-hmm. uh, you got to look at how people were raised, uh, what's their viewpoints. If I, if I was to ask your grandfather, uh, if it was it was uh, better or worse the racial divide w- when he was your age, what would he what would he say? Worse, because he went to his school was all black. My granddad went to the first um, first segregated school in um, Prattville. Yeah, they were segregated when he was in school. So yeah, it was it was bad. Like I find I find with them. Yeah like just my own you know just watching and really being observant is is that older community mm-hmm. is very almost is very happy with um mm-hmm. what it is today mm-hmm. but you have even the generation now yeah. that is still fighting for that sees the things but i feel like you have an older generation that's like you know met that was that's good enough for us like you know that kind of ma- mindset black community we're coexisting somehow that's enough we're not going to push any further we're content. We're not, we're not, you know, you know, nobody's attacking each other, you know, directly in that way, but we're, we're satisfied is what you're saying. But there's a younger generation that isn't satisfied. Yes. And the younger generation. So then, so then again, I I just kind of back to to Derek with your um, upbringing. So you were brought up where you didn't go to an all black school. And so you were with lots of different races and you had white friends and that was acceptable for your generation. Now, talk about it for a minute, too. So Cassie is saying this next generation, which would be you, you're 27. So your generation would be um, if you had um, other uh, Africans that are your age, how do they see the situation? Are they angry that there still is a divide? Are they satisfied? Are they prejudiced? Like, what, what are you seeing with your generation? Well, my generation is kind of like... Uh with all the, the social media, everything mm-hmm. kind of brainwashes, right? But it's it's real, like, don't get it confused. Like, everything that happens is real, you know what I mean? It's just like, how do you, how can I say it? How can you like, really understand the other, the other side, you know, the other race? What are their motives or how do they 
you know, how do they think, mm -hmm. you know, uh, it's the biggest thing. I just think that. So what are the most disturbing things you've heard said from your generation? Maybe let's just talk about against whites. What would be some of the things that you say you can see that, that, that obviously are, there's anger or there's hatred or whatever. What kind of things have you heard said maybe against whites? You think you asked me that question? It's so like when you hit me with that, it's like a million things. I can't even say one word. Like it's crazy. I think some of what even what we're seeing is that is like almost is very much on the white privilege side that they really want to. Um, like I find like even just like friends that we have that are you know that are people like people of color it's like they really want white people to recognize the privilege that it is and it's almost to the point where it can be like very very like upfront like people like for me there's certain privileges that I don't even understand I have that Derek doesn't but for for the fact and even with your show you know there's a conversation that needs to take place that is resourceful and has solutions and you can understand where there's a compassion level instead of like a, a deliberate you know like hate towards a certain privilege yeah my definition of racism would be uh mm, racism like uh more than words it's actions uh toward a particular group of people or a race um, that is strongly disliked, hated, uh, everything under the sun. Okay, so so it's and you would say it's action or attitude towards another race. Yeah, that would be oppressive or harmful to them in some way. So some form of discrimination or prejudice. How long have you been a professional football player for? Uh, this is my what? Fifth year. Fifth year, second year in NFL. Played three years here with the Riders. So. Okay, you played three years with the Riders. I didn't see your games, so I apologize. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, did you find were there disadvantages for you uh, in sports at all, being being African American? Uh, no, nah, I didn't look at it. I couldn't even put myself in that uh, mindset because that would have put me. And yeah, that would have set me back, right? So even if there were some energies or something like that, I never paid attention to that because like my grandparents, they grew up in the, the, the era where it was rough. So that always taught me to, you know, be professional, um, take your job serious, stay ahead of the game. I mean, you can get to like, if you're negotiating like contracts, right? To stigmatize a black athlete is not smart. He, he doesn't know how to handle money, right? That's the, that's a stigma, right? So you get in a room and your contract is up, and say you're up for a contract. They might give you your numbers might not be as great as you want, right? But still, like some guys take take back like take bad deals. Like me, I never take a bad deal. I'll walk away from something before I take a bad deal. So there's there's some players that might be taken advantage of. Yeah. They label them as they're not yeah. smart enough to know better. 
Yeah. So we're going to use them for our game, for our team, and yeah. um, not let them know what they're really worth in terms of the value they bring. Yeah. We're going to disadvantage them. And, and then they're probably feeling intimidated. Um, if I don't take this deal, maybe I'll never have an opportunity. So then they take a bad deal. And yeah. that probably sets them up. It sets a precedent for them, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. It's, uh, it, it's happened like way before uh, even, uh, I think, Scotty Pippen took a bad deal. We played with Michael Jordan. That was on a Netflix. Like, I watched it. You seen that series? <laughs> Last Dance? Yeah, but he took a bad deal. You got to think about it. He played right beside Michael Jordan. And he was the main reason for the success of the championship. So that's a prime example right there. It's a competitive atmosphere, right? And uh, you got to think about it. Coming from areas where low poverty and everything else, all that is psychologically put on you to make it. Yeah. Sort of, quote unquote, to make it, right? So I've been in that where you got to make it. I got to make it. I got to make it. I got to make it. Right. And it, it it's psychologically, it takes you somewhere else where you got to be better than everybody. Where you got to be better than uh, Joe, the other black guy. Y'all competing for a spot. Right. Or the the white guy that plays quarterback. You know, um, that's, that's, that's real. I think that's why in sports, you know, like, they mix, they, you were allowed to play sports as white and black people before you're allowed to go to school as yeah. white and black people, because they saw, you know, it's, it's about, you know, that was what people like, they, you know, I guess black people can play football. And so when they did, I felt like, you know, there was, you know, black people had to be on time better. They had to stay after practice probably to clean up. There was like that, I felt in it. And I think the mentality of even what Derek said about like, you know, black people aren't smart enough. So we always see a white quarter for so long, you know, black people can't play quarterback. You know, we need a white guy quarterback. You hear, you know, even that stigma, you probably heard it growing up right mm -hmm. and it's like you know but black, the, he'll be our he'll be a receiver right because he can run that'll be that part so and we actually for the first time where they celebrated was like the most black quarterbacks this year or something that we've ever had because the stigma was you know like Derek yeah. said you know a, a, you come in here you're the white guy will understand it he'll get it but you know I have to teach the more I've said he won't understand it as well one definition that was given racism is that racism is um, basically, it's a systemic issue. Right. So if you look at society, what makes up every society, it's kind of like, you know, Cassie, if you learned the seven mountain mandate, you know, there's in every every sphere or every, every country in the world has maybe let's just say seven different spheres that run a society. So you have religion, you have government, you have business or economy, you have education systems, you have um, you know, economic systems, media systems, arts, you know, entertainment, all that kind of stuff. And so the, the definition of racism is that the system itself is set up in such a way that it gives priority or preference to a certain race over other races. And so in the case right now, the, the argument is the system is set up in such a way that that white people are racist based on the systemic the system it's set up that way to give preference or privilege to white people over any other race is what they're basically making statements so they they'd say all white people are racist just because of the system uh some in some instances um you know i can just refer just coming from down south like certain things right um i just think some it's set up like that but you just have to kind of maneuver through it. You have to change your mindset, 
right? You have to change your surroundings. You have to get resources, uh, people in power, people uh, of the black race or whatever race mm -hmm. have to, uh, the, the influential people have to put people in position, right? To be able to get to the front of the line, so to speak, right? To even out the playing field in certain areas. So. Right, right. So, so then instead of being upset about how it's all set up, yeah. then there has to be a strategy about how to get people again, as you say, balance out the power, get them into positions where they can have influence, mm -hmm. you know, get those, have those opportunities. I think if yeah. you can use it against, yeah, okay. you can, you can also use it for, I do right. believe that there is um, a system that we have not changed in so many years. Like we read a book, um, Booker T. Washington's book, coming up from slavery. And he was like, he founded like the college in Alabama, um, like the first black college. And he just talked about how right from slavery um, that they were, that it was almost like you were sleeping on a floor, you didn't know how to read. And all of a sudden you now need to be a good father. You need to be a good son. You need to get a job. You need to make money for your family when there was no system in order to help this community. And there still hasn't there. It's sort of, even if you go to Alabama, like I said, it still almost seems like that. Although now, you know, we have, you can go to school and you can do all these things, but it does still feel like that system that was placed from after the civil war is still somewhat um, the, how it was set up and how it still is set up. To an average young person, it still doesn't seem really fair if regardless of how much you try i mean you certainly don't want people to become victims but on the other hand if if there's a system in place that is constantly oppressing people there's a huge huge movement out there right now that just doesn't believe in having a conversation they just want to start a war yes right, very right. big like that, yeah why do you think that's going on it's so much hate though to be honest it's just hate like it. hating there's no understanding Right. Uh, some people want to get understanding. Some people don't. Majority don't. It's like, our people been hanged, beat up, shot, killed, whatever. And it's no, some people ain't turning back from that. Derek's dad is also named Derek. And we, I asked him these same questions. And, and he said, he gave me a really interesting answer too. And he said that it really comes down to greed like a lot of even today he sees in our society that greed is like really the root of a lot of these um these problems you see an issue and you want that but you'd rather just say i want it he says right now you you have we have as as the black as a black family as black culture, we have the opportunity we can do it but there's been such um it, it's not like 10 years of oppression it's like since of course black people came to America, there's been oppression, right? right. So it's not like it, it's all of a sudden it, there wasn't, it wasn't there, especially in the South. It just hasn't ever changed. Like there's says, like the mindset still hasn't changed. So although you now have these opportunities, you know, obviously he is a great mom and dad. There's still are a lot of households that actually through a line have never had a family household, never. Like I know there's a couple, you know, families in, in my, you know, as, as a white family, you know, that had, you know, couple, you know, whatever family units, but there's some black families that have never had a family, like through all the generations. So it's like this generational setup that has never, you know, been able to have a foundation and the opportunity to really, you know, have that opportunity 
without, and it's easier to just have the greed and the hate because it's more comfortable there, I think too. There's people that have never had that foundation. So not only are they disadvantaged from being, you know, an African-American perhaps, they're disadvantaged that they never had an intact family. They never had that foundation in place. And so there's some pieces missing in addition that those were, you know, effects maybe of what all took place. Mm -hmm. And, and it is really a complex issue when it comes down to like how on earth you solve this. Because as you mentioned, there's a lot of hatred and anger. And I've often taught about this. Anger is a emotional response that says I'm fighting against something. And mm. so I'm fighting against the system. I'm fighting against the whites that represent the system. I'm fighting against lack of opportunity. But it's also fighting for something. Because yeah. anger is a fight for something. You get angry when you're fighting for something. So I might be fighting for justice. I might be fighting for opportunity. I might be fighting for peace. I might be fighting for the need for family. And I'm angry when I don't have it. And I'm frustrated because mm -hmm. there's so much resistance and people sometimes feel hopeless, you know, and then they move into the only option is all our war. And especially, yeah. you know, I, I think that there's a generation, this generation where there is a, a, a truth and justice generation rising mm -hmm. where they're just fed up. The solutions out there are coming from a place of hate, as you mentioned, and rage, and um, not just fighting for something, but really more fighting against people. I was born a white person. I didn't, I'm not the one that set up the system. Right. And my husband, even being a white male, is even worse. So he didn't set up the system. I didn't set up the system. And um, we might have received privilege, and we didn't even know we received privilege. Mm -hmm. So here we are, walking along, doing our life, trying to be good people. And then all of a sudden, there's a rise up saying, we hate you and we want you to die because you were privileged by that system. I think, I think people love to use the word racist right now for like a lot of things. Like my dad, who's definitely not a racist, if he posted that he liked something that Donald Trump did, he would be completely called racist. His business would probably get canceled. Suds would be shut down. You know what I mean? That's sort of like the mentality right now with, with our generation is, is then you're just canceled. We're done with you. Like, and you should suffer. Right. And I also think like, I think there has to be reform. I think there needs to be. I think this this rise up isn't all bad. I do think that there is, a, like you said, there is a, a generation that has a really strong voice for justice right now, and then and we're seeing that. And I think that's really beautiful, and I think it's. I think there it's going to be done. I'm really praying and hoping that it's going to be done in a way that's led well and beautifully, and one that is is going to actually make change and in this reform but again you're also going to get the people that are emotional and angry and greedy in this as well as we're seeing all over the news in some places right especially both and both ways right i mean Derek can say even as like a black man in america i mean there's a lot you know what i mean there's a lot of things on either side and it's like right now our generation really wants to go well you did this well then you did that and i'm going to do this back to you well this is what i did a police officer killed me, I'm gonna kill a police officer. We really have this sort of take and give, almost like this culture that just is, is not gonna, doesn't wanna compromise, doesn't wanna settle, doesn't wanna sacrifice. And I think that's the danger of this rise up. But I do believe that there is a reform. My hope is that it's gonna take place powerfully and well. So it's just like watching it unfold is hard because your, your heart aches like the, for both, for, you're just like, this is horrible and shouldn't be happening. I personally wonder about other agendas out there 
that are not necessarily caring so much for the African Americans or for other blacks, but they have another agenda going on. And one thing that I personally really, really hate is I hate the exploitation of people. I hate when people take a vulnerable situation, they use it for their advantage. And um, from what I'm seeing is, is and I, I don't believe in, in being uh, politically correct and playing a game. I believe in being truthful and integral and congruent and, and honest and confronting issues really honestly, right? And when you see in the name of Black Lives Matter, burning down uh, black businesses, black owner businesses, or murdering black police officers, or and justifying destruction of property and and murdering of people yeah. something's wrong with that picture uh you know you, when you see that kind of those kind of strategies in place that are very organized and are calling people to rally with them and using yeah. people instead of trying to reconcile humans to humans i mean you described cassia what would be called an eye for an eye a tooth for a tooth mm -hmm. you did this to me you will pay and you will not just pay once, I will make you pay worse than what you did. Yeah. But the anger and the rage will never stop. Human want, nature wants payment mm -hmm. and justice. And there are those that believe that forgiveness and using wisdom to, to come up with strategies to make it better are the way, because the human heart, I don't think can be healed by um, simply putting someone else on top. <laughs> I believe the human heart needs healing and uh, there's got to be a way to be able to address that hurt and and you know when when i listened to will ford when he was on our show and he talked about that supernatural dream experience that he had mm -hmm. where two people come together and he said it reminded him when martin luther king himself said i have a dream when the sons of former slave owners will be able to come together with the sons of former slaves mm -hmm. and brotherhood together and us together against the problem instead of you against me. And right, right now it's me against you. That's what's, yes. there's something trying to create hatred for human beings against human beings instead of let's come together us against the problem. When you were talking about, you know, these, um, these sort of like wars that we're seeing, these riots that we're seeing. And if I think about a very vulnerable group, it would be that, that um, the, like the teenage black, african-american right now is is a very vulnerable person in in america and when you hear you know that gives us a riot is a sense of community i think i think it's a sense of you know you're at home your mom's working and if you didn't make it in football come on down we're doing this today so we've actually worked you know in the hood for a number of years we worked in the hood in calgary for a number of years and we learned a lot about gang activity mm -hmm. and how people start to go into gang activity and it really yeah. becomes like a family like every human need being needs to have a sense of belonging and so if you're you're kind of describing cassia that if if all of a sudden you know if there's no sense of i can't make it i have no opportunity um i'm you know there's we're, we're in poverty my mom's gone working, you know, three jobs or whatever. I don't have any family. So I may as well get, get involved either in gang activity or if a group comes along that starts to tell me all the reasons I should join them. Hey, by the way, there's going to be a big truck driving up because we're going to have a, a planned riot. It's going to have a bunch of bricks in the back of the truck. When we say go, throw those bricks like nobody's business because you are part of this family and you're part of fighting against this horrible system. So then there's a sense of belonging. It's for a cause. I'm fighting for my ancestors. I'm fighting yep. against oppression. I'm fighting against 
these horrible people and I belong. And so that's, you know, what would be very, very attractive. Yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. Um, I just think it's a bunch of following, right? It's not enough, uh, not many leaders, true leaders, right? Even people of influence, they might have a certain way they might view things. And that's gonna, like you said, it's gonna take a million people. Like they're gonna follow that. Do young black kids growing up in the, in the U.S., do they get a chance to learn about, uh, like, for example, like two of the, the, the most brilliant economists that the U.S. has ever had, you know, like uh, Walter Williams and, and Thomas Sowell. Mm-hmm. Do they get to learn about them? Do they know about them? Because both of them are kind of a little bit more conservative in their, in their, in their, in their mindset. It depends. It depends what, uh, what, uh, school or district you're in, you know, um, I think everybody learning, uh, you don't really learn that much about, you just learn just the top of the surface on people and things or, or the culture or history itself. You can take a kid, um, stays in the hood or somewhere where I stay at. They're gonna know more about what's going on, the rap song or who doing this gang signs and um, who's in the streets, who sells the most dope, you know, that's real, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of learning about more about Booker T. Washington or Martin Luther King. You know what I mean? It's that stigma in that in that mindset that it's like every generation. Uh, my parents divorced when I was little, so uh, my dad was still in my life, like hands on, you know, but I didn't have a dad with me every day. Cause I seen so much, right? Um, living in the hood, seeing, um, like I told Cass one time, I grew up around drug dealers and seeing drug dealers. I aspired one point of life to be like those guys. Like I seen guys like that making money, uh, everything that comes with that life. Um, but I seen so much and seen what it did to people. I had two older brothers. So I, as I seen, um, I kind of foresaw my, um, foreseen my, my future and what I wanted to do. And as I grow older, um, I just wanted to be a, a, influ- a influential person. Um, so I can say my experiences and what I seen uh, brought me to this point right now. As I got older, you know, as I matured and my, my thoughts, you know, I put my thoughts together, you know, but at one point in time, all I seen was drug dealers and people like that, you know, the heroes were on TV. athletes and stuff like that but my heroes were on the block like seeing guys you know what i mean seeing that you lived in the hood you lived in poverty your parents were divorced it's not like you had everything handed to you on a silver platter you were you were and it was part of a systemic issue there were a lot of gangs out there drug dealers at one time you even aspired thinking that would be my hero maybe i should be a drug dealer no you get to a point where you uh you have to learn yourself right you see things and you see how it negative uh negative uh it affects people um seeing people go to the feds prison uh 
people die. Uh, so those experiences and everything else. And I was blessed to be able to play football with multiple scholarships. Um, I seen, I had an older brother um, that uh, is great in football. Great, 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 great. But he'll tell you like he, he made some decisions that um, weren't good. So I took notes mentally. Um, seeing plenty of guys from my town that were great and could have did great things, but they never took it there. And for me, um, I always, uh, I just took that those mental notes and wanted to be better. Um, wanted to give the kids um, someone to look up to, um, to be like the blueprint or the, the person that they can, they can achieve something, you know? So uh, that's, that's it. That's pretty amazing. And, you know, um, you're the second person that we've interviewed that had also faith had something to do with it, like their faith um, gave them some strength too. So one of the guys that we interviewed as well, that was a big part. He had kind of a big encounter with forgiveness and that kind of thing. And that that sounds like that was a constant too. Oh, yeah. You, got, you come from a praying family and a family full of faith that trickles down, right? You might have one person that might step out of line, but um, for the most part, you're gonna get that 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 faith and that the prayers. And I'm, I believe I'm living off like my ancestor prayers, um, just to be in this moment right now to talk about that. You know, what would you say to someone that says to you, mm -hmm. "Well, you're copying out." I mean, even religion is part of a white man's system, yeah. and they even had a white Jesus. And, uh, you know, really, and uh, you're just you're just giving into that system. What would you to, to racism? You're just perpetuating it by following that. What what would you say to them? Try God for yourself and uh, you really transform your life. Just give it over to him. Right. Uh, just try him. Try him and, 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 and see what he, he's going to prove you wrong. Right. It, it'll prove you wrong. Right. Uh -huh. God can really transform you inside out, right? 